Welcome to Locked On Kentucky, your daily Kentucky podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. I am Kyle Tucker of The Athletic, and you might notice this is a little different start than normal. There's no Curtis Birch this time, and there won't be no more Curtis Birch. I mean, he still exists, and he'll pop on from time to time, but he's no longer a host on this show. He just started his new job with UK Athletics. And so we welcome in today our new co-host, Kyle Mann. Kyle Mann of The Dime Drop, his own uh, YouTube channel, and also you might find his work on The Ringer. Um, Welcome. Good to be here. Happy that uh, you guys would have me. Flattered that you would ask me and uh, excited for the future. You know, we we kind of introduced you on our three-man on-site podcast at Grassroots Pharmacy over the weekend that uh, probably most people listen to on Monday. Uh, we're recording this on Monday night for the Tuesday episode, and I wanted to kind of start this episode out with a little more thorough uh, introduction to our new co-host, Kyle Mann, J. Kyle Mann. Uh, this is going to be the Two Kyles podcast from now on. We can't call it that because we are part of the Lockdown Network, so we're going to still be locked on <laughs> Kentucky. But uh, Two Kyles doing something weird or whatever would be a good name if we had an alternate name. Um, Just Jake Kyle, on man. Kyle. Yeah. Locked, yeah, yeah, exactly. Locked on K's. Uh, yeah. I, I guess I'm going to give you the floor to, uh, however – to whatever degree you're comfortable telling it, I know you sort of your life story, your backstory, <laughs> career career life story. Anyway, um, you took a, an un, an unconventional path towards uh, essentially becoming a, a basketball media mogul, oh, uh, yeah, <laughs> or media guy. Anyway, I, I, if you want to tell people, how did you get here? Literally backstroking in money like Scrooge McDuck right now. I'm recording (laughs) this. My microphone is made of of money. Yeah, it's like all just, uh, I eat money. Uh, Anyway, so yeah, I did have a weird path. Um, People that have uh, hung with me through my process have probably heard some version of this, but if you haven't, um, you know, like I said on the last pod, I'm a guy from Kentucky, but I grew up uh, in in, like the Taylorsville area and... uh, I guess professionally, yeah, I took a weird, I always wanted to be a sports writer, like I was telling you the other day, but I had people early on kind of discourage me from it and say, you know, there aren't enough jobs, which is true, but, <laughs> but, but, uh, yeah. I just didn't. No, they weren't telling you wrong. They were, yeah. they were telling you exactly right. So I had a moment where I, you know, you don't, you don't know anything when you're that age. So I, I let that just sort of correct me into some other, I guess just out of uh, nervousness about it, I went some other direction. But really when I say that, I was pretty aimless. So <laughs> I like, uh, you know, I did, but I've done content creation for a long time. I was in like retail, like I worked for Zappos for a while. That stuff's out there. You could dig it up. And uh, went into advertising in like 2014. Did that for a little bit. Uh, that uh, did copywriting specifically. But, you know, uh, honestly, had some just sort of bouncing around go on in my job situations. And I was just like, you know, I, maybe I should try something different. So in my free time, I was like, uh, I'll just write about basketball to stay sharp. That's, that was the whole plan. So I just started a site and actually, I actually came, the dime drop was like when I sat down to think of a name for a site, it was like the second, it might even been the first name I thought of. It just came to me. I'm not great at naming things, but uh, that that came to me, and then my wife helped me brand it. So uh, I I always tell people it was sort of a weird situation where um, the the skills that 
that I had kind of accrued up to that point through advertising and, you know, just production and things like that, because I went to school for production. Um, they put me in a position to just be able to do all like editing, voiceover, writing, like all those things I had done in other, other jobs. So when it came time to do the video stuff, I was just in a, in a good, in a good spot to handle all that. So I guess maybe the production had uh, a few steps ahead of where somebody would maybe normally start with a YouTube page. Maybe not, but, uh, I did that into really the NBA draft was what was the kick the door down. And I, it was one of those things where, um, I was doing it for no one for a while. And I started just, I was like, you know, I, I love the draft. I love like evaluating players. So I started doing that and I turned around and I think like, uh, I would say it was just like, you're performing somewhere and you and you look behind you and there's nobody and then you turn back around and you look and there's like a lot of people that's kind of what happened it was very sudden i think it was in june i went from like 400 subscribers to like 40,000 it was like really it was really a spike because uh, I remember my wife and I like went and celebrated 10,000. We thought that was incredible. I thought 500 was incredible. Like it's it's amazing and it's one of those things. It's like you feel like uh, you got struck by lightning a little bit. Like it's lucky. Um, but I've been very fortunate. I guess is what I'm trying to say. So and in uh, in the fall, I got hit up by the Ringer and I started basically doing what I was doing for the Dime Drop for the Ringer. So I've been doing a lot of NBA stuff for them and uh, all that stuff is out there and I'm going to continue doing that uh, in the future working with them. Uh, and they are awesome, the Ringer. That's uh, Bill Simmons' site for anybody that doesn't know. So I think what really launched you was, uh, you know, I started tweeting tweeting your, your links out and I, I don't want to take all the credit, but it, I, I think, think it that's was what much, it was. Pretty much that. No, uh, oh, no. Dude. I was going to say though, what you are really, you you are really fortunate. Of your your videos are amazing, and I, but I, I know you'll be like the first person to agree with me on this. You're incredibly fortunate to be married to another super talented person <laughs> whose art, whose art like elevates. Not another. All, but... <laughs> no, they're, you're both very talented, but her art like really elevates your videos. Like that, you know, she's she came up with your logo for the dime drop, and she does all the cool player illustrations and, and stuff both for your videos on that channel, but, and all has continued to do it for your uh, stuff for the ringer. And it's really cool. She's your, your wife, Meg is in, insanely talented. And she really by the way, is. you're up to almost 61,000 subscribers now just on the uh, dime drop channel on your, I know your ringer videos do in the hundreds of thousands of page views. Tell, tell people what these videos are as we're continuing to introduce you. Well, you know, I'm not trying to turn it into just a over over and over backpat thing, but I, um, uh, yeah, like I said, I've been really lucky, and I did. I've I've just basically the ringer. Um, it was a cool thing it, uh, because they were the first, you know, bigger site to hit me up that wanted to do something, and they're my favorite site. So I kind of did a lap, several laps around the house when that happened, uh, and. Uh, they just kind of, they kind of just clear out and let me do my thing. They don't really give me a ton of notes on how to, you know, uh, there's like, you know, decency guidelines, but I don't really cross any of those lines. So, um, I do basically, basically like I'll, I'll pick a player and just study it's, it's, it's pretty much, you know, I'm not a pro scout, but I've watched, I've always really enjoyed evaluating players, trying to evaluate players. And, um, that's basically what I do with them and teams, you know, things like that. Um, so I'll just pick a player and write about their strengths, weaknesses, what it's going to take 
for them to uh, make a leap. Uh, that's one of the series we do, or we'll just kind of grade uh, the the progress of a young player. You know, I've done some UK players that I'm working on some of that right now. Um, but it's it's a fun job. It's it's still a lot of work, but it's I've actually it's really funny. You know. I'm working harder than I've ever worked in my life, <laughs> but but I enjoy it. So the time just basically melts away. So I've been I've I've been really lucky, honestly. Yeah, and I, and lucky to have a wife that uh, that gives my stuff like a visual look that uh, makes Meg's stuff makes anybody's uh, work look legitimate because she's just uh, she's great. I'm really biased, but she's great. Yeah, I totally. I'm gonna hijack her from you when I I, I really want to write a children's book one of these days. Now that I'm you know a sappy old dad. I'm I'm totally going to hit her up to illustrate my children's book because she's she, awesome. She really wanted to be a children's author for a long time. Actually, uh, that, was, oh, that wow. was one of her things. Yeah, so I'm sure she would be she would be down to help you with that. Awesome. Well, Kyle, are we uh, are we getting close to our first break together? I think I think we're right here at the first break. Actually, you are locked on Kentucky, your daily Kentucky Wildcats podcast. All right, guys. So we promised you. Last uh, episode, as we first began to introduce Kyle and kick Curtis out the door, uh, that we would uh, not just only obsessively talk about basketball, although we're going to be a lot of basketball here, a couple of basketball dudes. Uh, But I'm also a pretty big football guy, and it is football season. As we record this, it's Monday, and Mark Stoops had his uh, Monday press conference today. It's game week, um, and Kentucky's about to kick off this Season, So we did uh, want to talk a little bit about Kentucky football, um, spend this segment kind of um, taking a 30,000 foot view of, of this season coming up, you know, setting the stage here. Mark Soups is coming off of a historic season, 10 wins for the first time since 1977, three straight bowl games, has gotten a little bit wiped out by the NFL draft. And now this is kind of the, the show me season of uh, have they really built a program? Have they truly built a program as opposed to building up to one great season and, and then they plummet back to earth? Um, I tend to think they have built a program. I think they'll take a step back but not plummet. Um, but there are, and I think the schedule generally sets up pretty favorably for them to do that. But there are um, some specific games that I think that will really dictate that. And you, we were messaging today, Kyle, about, J. Kyle, uh, about uh, that idea. And you you came up with sort of, I thought, a really smart way to look at the schedule. So I'll, I'll just let you uh, roll with that from here. Yeah, I was thinking like uh, Tucker and Man has a nice ring to it. I don't know. That's oh, yeah, that's hard. not bad. Yeah, T- Tucker, Tucker, we, Tucker and again, the Man. Again, we can't really read. Yeah. <laughs> that works. <laughs> Yeah, we really, of course, we, we can't rename the podcast, but I guess if we're giving it, we're going to, maybe we'll just give it our own uh, new nickname every week. Every uh, week, we'll just come up with a new name for our Submit show. Submit us nicknames. Yeah, that would be a nice little thing. Yeah. <laughs> for two guys named Kyle, yeah. uh, whose last names are Tucker and Man, to Tucker do a man, Kentucky podcast. Really catchy, actually. Yeah, I was looking at the football schedule um, today. And I was just thinking, uh, you were talking about how this is sort of a make or break. And I guess the point at which this, this sort of addresses, I think, the the point at which the season could break. Because, uh, you know, it, it is a tough it, – it's not, no, it's not uh, typical that you – the season last year was just not typical in any way, really. Because, you know, you had the best running back in the history of the school. Uh, pretty, I would say that's pretty inarguable. Would you agree with that? 
Yeah, I mean, you can make a case for Sonny Collins and, and uh, you know, a couple of others. Right. But, but I think Benny, if he's not the best running back in school history, Benny has as much of a – as much of a case, as strong of a case as any running back that's ever played there. And, Definitely. you know, especially owning many of the records. So certainly yeah. the best touchdown scoring uh, player that's ever played for Kentucky. Yeah, the numbers uh, the numbers are pretty emphatic there. And then you've got probably the most de- dominant, disruptive defensive player that's ever played at the school. I mean, we were talking about I, – I think it was the Mississippi State game we were talking about. Um, this is reaching way back, but I remember us texting, and I was just saying I don't really remember a single defensive player dominating a game the way Josh Allen did in that game. And uh, that was uh, – who? what's the, the enormous quarterback from Mississippi State? Uh, he's, I'm blanking on his name right now, but – uh, there was a lot of questions about or Nick. Uh, oh, Nick it? Fitzgerald. Yeah, the, Nick the Fitzgerald. Last year's quarterback. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So they were, you know, we, they were talking about could they get to uh, to Fitzgerald and and uh, Allen had him rattled. But uh, I, you know, it's it's not normal to lose that kind of talent. So this year, I think that Kentucky fans, it's a situation where you know we're going to have to decide how what the breaking point is for. Um, are Kentucky fans going to just be happy with anything because of the year they had last year, or do they want to, you know, how how important it is for them is it for them to reach into that seven or eight game win total? So I broke it up into t- uh, four tiers here. Uh, so we'll go from the top down. Oh, let's go from the bottom up, actually. So I think that there are five games on the schedule, and you can you can sort of just agree or disagree with this whole spiel. So just weigh in. So. Five games on the schedule that I said that uh, these are going to keep the fans from grumbling, keep the grumbling from starting, from starting, and keep the at a minimum. This is how you keep the momentum going. I think that you have to beat these. These are the have to beat them teams: Toledo, Eastern Michigan, Arkansas, UT Martin, and Louisville. I think that they have to win those games to to. Well, with with some caveats, but I think that uh, to have a great season, you're going to need to at least get. 80% of those, I would say. Yeah, I mean, no, I, I think I think it's a I think it's a hundred percent proposition. Uh, I agree with you on on every one of those. And the ca- but the caveat being, you could drop one if you if you steal one, you're not supposed to exactly. somewhere else. You know, like if Louisville ends up being way better than we think, if they jump way up from two wins and they come into that last game and they're, uh, you know, playing for a bowl game, and they steal the they steal that victory, but you've beating Florida again, <laughs> say, yeah. you know, you're okay. Um, yeah. You got to, you got to, ha- you will have to compensate from the other tiers, uh, tier one or tier two, probably if you've lost one of those games. But to me, those are the ones, those are the ones you almost write in right off the top. I mean, you, you better beat Toledo, Eastern Michigan and UT Martin. Just no, no ifs, ands or buts about that. You have to. And then Arkansas and Louisville are two teams at home that were, that are, two and 10 each last season. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you blew out Louisville on the road a year ago. So yeah, to me, that ought to be five wins before your season starts. And if it isn't, then there's a problem. Right. Uh, I agree. Uh, to, I agree with you agreeing with me. Uh, tier three <laughs> is the next tier up. And uh, these are, you. Pr- I'm calling these the probably should win games. Uh, and I said that uh, those two games are at Vanderbilt, and Missouri, uh, because you know, but you know, these could go uh, 
you probably need to beat them like we were talking about there's a sort of would that be the transitive property if you like take one away I, I'm, I wasn't good at math you need to if you lose one of these you're going to need to steal one from the upper tier but uh win all the games in tiers three and four and i think that the fan base will probably come away happy you know because that would be that would be seven wins right there i think that yeah. they do you th- do you think that they could win all of tier four and three which is Toledo, Eastern Michigan, Arkansas, UT Martin, Louisville, Missouri, and Vandy. Do you think that that would be enough for fans to be like, okay, we're satisfied, if, even if they lose all the rest? I think people would say, yeah, I do. I, th- I think if you're coming off a, a, a historic season like that with as much talent as you lost and you go seven and five, I think that is sort of the baseline of, you know, fans walking away not necessarily happy, but content that the program is on strong footing, mm-hmm. I guess is how I would view that. Because I think if you're breaking in all the new guys in the secondary and there's some bumps in the road against the better teams you play and you still win seven games with them and you have basically everybody back next year, then people can go into next year saying, we're still headed in the right direction. Like this, we're going to bring in the you know best recruiting class in history, you know, coming off of this season add those guys to a, an older team, we feel great about the future, even if they don't feel great about the actual... Because if you think about that, if those are the only seven games they win, there's not a lot to be thrilled about there. Right, you know what right. I mean? Like, there's not a great win there other than if you beat the hell out of Louisville at home, I guess that's fun regardless for Kentucky fans. Yeah. And the fact that it's the last game, like, if, if you beat Louisville to get that seventh win at the end of the season, go to a bowl game. That probably, that's probably a good place for that Louisville game to be. If you're going to win it, have a seven win season where you don't really beat anybody. That's very good, but still that's just, eh, it's just okay. Yeah. I mean, you're basically, I think at that point shooting for some abstract, that abstract idea of, of feel good kind of narrative. And that's, that's not exactly an exact science, but, um, yeah, I would agree. So the next tier up, and th- these are could go either way. And basically, what we mean here is that these are quality opponents that you know you could lose. And I don't think that it's. I guess really what this te- what these tiers measure is how mad are you going to be if you if you drop them. And I think that these yeah games, are they a, are they a bad loss? You know, is this yeah. a bad loss? And and these are the not bad losses if you know if you lose them. Yeah, so this is Mississippi State, and that, and this is on the road, so you got to imagine they're going to have some uh, we got something for you kind of stuff going on. But they lost a lot this year. Uh, South Carolina, who also kind of is tired of losing to Kentucky. Uh, Tennessee, which is at home, which you like that. And then Florida, which is, which is also at Kroger Field. So uh, what do you think about those games? I think, that's, I think you got it exactly right in terms of what, the, what those are. Nobody would be fighting mad if they lose those games, but they would all be pretty quality wins, quality to really quality. Uh, and also in that, in, in your tier three, in, in your tier two, there, three of those four games are all in a row, and they're early. Mm, um, yep. You know, you've got Florida at home, then at Mississippi State, and then at South Carolina, all in a row. So after two what should be gimmies to start the season, Toledo and Eastern Michigan, you run the gauntlet, and then you get that Arkansas game. It should be a gimme. And then you're at Georgia. Um, so that, that stretch of Florida and then Mississippi State and South Carolina on the road will really, to me, dictate um, probably what kind of season it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Because I think if you win any of the three and then you beat Arkansas, you're four and two going into the back half of the schedule and you feel great. Um, If you win two of the three, you feel fantastic because then you're probably five and one going into, you're going at Georgia five and one. And you can at least for, for another, for a week, just like last year, at least in your head say, Hey, maybe we can win the East. Don't think it's going to happen. Think (laughs) Georgia on the road is going to flatten them. But other than that, you know, you, you can at least give yourself a, a thought about that. So uh, I think that's right. Uh, the South Carolina thing will be really interesting to me this year. I don't think South Carolina has given me any reason to think they're appreciably better than they have been here lately. Uh, it's like every year people kind of fall in love with South Carolina again. Um, but Kentucky's won five in a row, incredibly, in that series after winning, I think, losing like 17 out of 18. Um, yeah. Well, it's you a big deal uh, to them. You know, it's a big deal in South Carolina. They they are pissed. Yeah, <laughs> they're, they're tired of it. Not happy of it about it. Well, let's uh, let's wrap up here with uh, the. You mentioned the last tier, which is Georgia. I think that you you summarized that pretty well. If you had to really quick, just uh, gun to your head, bow and arrow to your head, whatever. Uh, what would you What would your prediction be for the for the win total? We'll I think I mean, yeah, eight and four. Eight and four is eight is, and four. Is what I'm calling. I, it won't shock me if they go seven and, and seven and five. It wouldn't totally shock me if they go nine and three. I would be a little surprised. I would be very impressed if they go nine and three after what they lost. But I think eight and four is probably the feels like like the most likely outcome to me right now. Yeah, I think that uh, I I was kind of shooting somewhere in like the six and a half range, but I because I was worried about you know the defense masked a lot of symptoms last year. It was sort of like uh, taking a medication that uh, covered the symptoms, but maybe didn't always you know cure the disease. I thought that that there were some games where the offense really struggled and the defense literally literally dragged them <laughs> to win. No, for sure, yeah. And I think that that sort of uh, is. People are maybe not totally thinking about that because the narrative of, you know, best season in 40 years, that stuff just feels really good. And, and uh, but I'm going to lean somewhere. I'm going to say seven uh, because uh, I don't know that they're going to have uh, that that same defensive quality to lean on. But they're also better in the trenches. So it's, you know, you can go back and forth about that. But uh, and, and I think it's possible that this this year the offense kind of steps up and drags the defense a little bit at times. I think they might be able to win a shootout. They're, they're, they're better prepared to win a shootout this year, I think, than they would have been in years past. We'll see. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's hear, let's do another break. What do you say? I, I think let's do that. Let's make some more money. Wasn't that graceful? <laughs> Very. All right, guys. We will wrap with some basketball, which is what we're going to talk a ton about on here, being uh, that we now have a, a I mean, I'm going to say this in an endearing way. A basketball nerd is is my co-host now. I, I would say you, basketball loser. That's basically. No, I'm tweeting nerd. Uh, nerd. I'm tweeting gifts of uh, <laughs> of U19 uh, FIBA tournaments at 3 a.m. That's who I am, guys. Yeah. yeah. Well, so. I mean, I spent I spent today trying to uh, trying to quantify the quality of competition in the Chinese basketball association. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so that may give you a hint folks about what we are going to, the segment we're going to end this, uh, this Kyle man's official debut uh, podcast on. And that is Dakari Johnson, um, former seven footer from Kentucky, the MVP of the finals of the Chinese 
uh, National Basketball League, the second Chinese league he's played in this year. He played the sort of the fall winter league in the CBA mm-hmm. uh, and the China, I think it's Chinese Basketball Association. Uh, I, then, it would, I would assume, yeah. And then they picked up, uh, he got picked up in another uh, Chinese league and dominated all season and then led his team to the championship and won the MVP. Uh, he averaged like, I think it was like 25 and 16 basically uh, yeah, in the finals and during the regular season. 26. He averaged, rounding up, 16 re- 20, 26 points, 16 rebounds, a steal. Well, I thought that was pretty wild. Uh, 3.3 assists, which is really great for if you're scoring that much and doing, you know, 3.3 assists is pretty good. Uh, and almost a block. That was for uh, King King Dao is the team. Uh, well, he played for King Dao in the CBA. The NBL team that he was playing was Anuhi Ten. Tenayuhi? Is that how you pronounce it? Okay, sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah sure, sounds but, uh, good. Uh, yeah. Well, it, it sort of brought up the question, you know, I was talking with our guy, Brett Dawson, about this, who covered the Thunder uh, when Dakari was there, I believe, right? He was there when yeah. he was there? And yeah, and still yeah. covers the Thunder, but yeah, covered it, covered him while he was there, uh, both, both while he was toiling in the G League affiliate that's right there in town, the OKC Blue, for mm-hmm. two years, and then finally got a call up for a season into to the to the big leagues in the NBA, and and Brett covered that as well. Yeah, so I guess it, the you know the two sort of bullet points that come up with Dakari is you know why him leaving early was always sort of a point of contention. I feel like for Kentucky fans, that's they'll point to that 2016 team without Dakari, uh, and a lot of people. He he was the ostens- ostensible you know piece that that could have easily come back, and uh, how much do you think that team would have improved if Dakari had just come back? Yeah, you and I have talked about this, and I've talked to Brett about this. Uh, I've said it a bunch of times. He was the missing piece, and I actually went out um, and I went out during that season. Um, I think Kentucky was playing Texas A and M, so I think I went out early and spent a couple days uh, in Austin. Texas on the road with Dakari while he was in the G league and met him at this extended stay motel. And it was smelled like fish. Cause some guy that was there, <laughs> like lived there for like months on end would cook like some fish entree in his room and stink up the entire hotel. And, you know, it was a little depressing, frankly. I think and, you kicked that guy out at that point. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. You get, you get the fish guy out of your extended stay. I think that's sort of, yeah. Well, anyway, yeah. But, you know, and talk to him about that. Like I talked, I wrote a big story about like the, the, the one thing Kentucky's team was missing that year was a, was a reliable post presence and junior Dakari Johnson at seven foot, 250 pounds, whatever, you know, who averaged a double double that year in the G league against grown men uh, would have been that guy. You know, I mean, he would have absolutely uh, I would I would have projected at least all SEC. And like it wouldn't have shocked me if Dagari Johnson was an All-American as a junior in college playing on a team with, you know, one of one of, if not the best backcourt in America in Tyler Ulis and Jamal Murray. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, probably the top to bottom, I think all around the best. Probably, you know, other than like we had this argument about like John Wall, you know, but I, I think that. Ulyss top to bottom was the best just pure point guard of the Cal era and Murray probably the most talented offensive wing in the history of the school other than like Tony Delk and Malik Monk was pretty talented too but I you know Murray's Kentucky hasn't had a, a ton of guys who have been in a situation like Murray but I was looking it up and 
Ulysses and Murray accounted for 50.3% of Kentucky's offensive load in terms of usage, and that accounts for assists too. Uh, they accounted for 37.3 of 84.4 points per game and 9.2 of the 15 assists. But basically, there was a gravity issue with that team where teams could sell out to stop, book, uh, you know, Eula, I almost said Booker, uh, Ulysses and Murray. And that because their bot their offensive approach was so bottlenecked, and they had they just didn't have any secondary creators past that, so they could just get the ball out of those guys' hands and hope for somebody to make a good decision. And Kentucky just didn't have it. You know, you absolutely and there, yeah. And there was no there was no automatic points in the paint at all. You couldn't throw it in and get a layup, a dunk, or free throws. You couldn't do it there. And and the other thing it did to me that we I haven't really talked about a lot. We, you and I haven't even really discussed, even though we've talked about this Dakari situation. I don't know if they would have, but I think at least they could have played Scal the way he should have been playing mm-hmm. if they weren't trying to shoehorn him to be the big man they didn't have. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've got Dakari to be your traditional five, you you can then play uh, Scal Abissier as a stretch four. And maybe everything's different. Uh, and he doesn't feel the pressure of being that guy. And, and you know, I, I think that's definitely a Final Four-level team with Dakari Johnson, uh, just to put yeah. it you know, I was always I was always sad that he lost his, his big caboose. Like uh, his freshman year, you remember he just had that wrecking ball <laughs> of an ass that he would just yes. throw. I, I loved – I love freshman year guitar, uh, guitar – Dakari. Uh, <laughs> that Louisville game, man, he was swinging that ass into people and just clearing it out. Like he was such a – he was such a fun player to watch, man. Like and he his was facial a, expressions. Oh, yeah. Well, that's the thing. He's like uh, just a fun person. He, yeah. he also has the famous – uh, and if I can find the audio and send it to you, you can tack it on to the end of this as an outtake. Uh, the famous line of uh, "He's got big nuts." Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he can't. He can't walk right now. He's right? so, so big he can't walk right now. About uh, Aaron Harrison after the first, after the I think the first dagger. If if not the first, uh, then yeah, I think it was after the Louisville, the shot in the Louisville game. If not, it was definitely after the Michigan game because then he said it again after the Wisconsin game when Aaron hit his third clinching three in a row during that tournament run. And he was just a, Dakari's an awesome personality. Uh, he's the only guy I've ever covered here who still sees me places all the time or, or I message him or you know call him for a story and he'll say, how's your family? How are your kids? And like, he's a normal person, like a normal yeah. person who interacts with us like normal people and also happens to be a giant, you know, seven footer who was for his skill set and size was probably born like 20 years too late. Exactly. Uh, That's kind of, I was, I was kind of looking into it. Dakari definitely. And I, we probably don't have much time left here, but you know, Dakari fits the mold of somebody that would have been drafted in the late nineties, early two thousands, basically just to, they would just, you know, stockpile these guys on rosters to, foul shack pretty much that's what they were in the league to do and uh i was i was looking it up and there's only you know the nba's changed a tremendous amount there's only 69 guys in the league this past year that were over 610 and over 225 pounds and uh 33 of those guys shot at least 30 percent from three so the game is you know if you're and dakari doesn't shoot threes <laughs> and he's not, not at all really mobile yeah he, yeah so you basically you know the game is wider and 
more skill demanding than ever. And you know, if if you can have a narrow skill set, but it's it's got to apply to a relevant area to the way the game's played today. And Dakar is a skilled guy, but unfortunately, he hasn't quite uh, been able to to uh, you know provide that skill to stay on a roster. But uh, quick trivia question: You know the answer to this. Hold on. The leading scorer in this Chinese basketball league that Dakari was playing in. <laughs> Just I had to bring this up. One one Russ Smith from the University of Louisville, and he averaged four, what forty three points a game. <laughs> yeah, who's shocked? And his team was like five hundred. So anyway, right. yeah, that's right. Pretty. No, that's great. But yeah. you know, one thing I'd say for Dakari, it kind of sucks for him that that the NBA has kind of moved past him. But there's still. I don't think he has major, major regrets. That was part of that story I wrote. And he's like, no, not really. I don't really regret it. I do think he will always wonder, like, if they could have been awesome with him and he would have just been, like, the man for a year. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I do think some people should think about Dakari. <laughs> they should be telling people about Dakari as they try to convince some guys to stick around because it is a little bit of a cautionary tale. But he made, I think, around a million dollars in the brief time he was in the NBA mm-hmm. and – uh, or maybe a little more than a million now. Um, and then I think he's making really good money in China. I haven't, wasn't yeah. able to nail down exactly uh, what his salary is, but some of the like higher profile guys who've spent some time in the NBA and are playing over there are getting a million, two million, three million dollars uh, for a season to play over there. Jimmer Fredette, I think, is making like two million a year. Yeah, um, I mean, China, China loves basketball. It's incredible how much they love basketball. So, I mean, it's a, it's a big deal. And uh, I always say this, too, is that Americans, and I think this is something that we all could stand to work on a little bit as American basketball fans, is we thumb our nose. I mean, the NBA, it, it is ridiculously hard to make the NBA because there are more skilled players than any time in history. And basketball around the world is just better. There are leagues that, you know, like some of the secondary leagues are – you know, superior like Euro League is in Liga ACB are arguably better than college basketball. So I don't know. I just yep. don't think we should be so condescending. But uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm almost certain that we're out of time. But this was a good first uh, salvo, wouldn't you say? I would say it was great. Uh, we are definitely over our time. We'll try to keep it a little tighter next time. But uh, Sorry, guys. Hey, we'll do some more stuff like this. It's kind of the what ifs that we did with Dakari. Maybe uh, maybe do it, turn it into a little bit of a series. Some of the great what ifs of the Calipari era and beyond. Uh, but uh, looking forward to doing this every day. Same as we always have Monday through Friday. Talking Kentucky football, basketball, whatever else pops up. It'll be me, Kyle Tucker with The Athletic. It'll be Kyle Mann with the dime drop and the ringer. Uh, and we'll be here, uh, all the time now. Uh, this is, uh, this is episode one of us together and, uh, it's going to hopefully be a long, long, happy, fruitful partnership. So check us out wherever, yeah. wherever you, wherever you listen to podcasts or download them, uh, tell people about it, like us, subscribe us, comment, rate us, review us, all that stuff. Appreciate it guys. And we will talk to you soon. Thank you. are Locked On Kentucky, available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or tell Alexa or Google to play podcasts Locked On. Don't worry, I won't finish. You get the idea.